You are entering the Freedom Hut. A massive scandal has rocked Canadian politics. You have Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, in multiple instances, and not that long ago, of blackface conduct. So we will talk about what that means for the Prime Minister up there. He's in a re-election battle. Also, there's a whistleblower who says that President Trump did something very, very bad. We don't know what it is. The deep state strikes back. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I think this is something that, like everything, that you have to evaluate on a case-by-case basis. This is something that I I take seriously and I take responsibility for. I'm pissed off at myself, obviously. I'm disappointed in myself and uh, I'm apologizing to Canadians. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. All of a sudden we are focused on Canadian politics, eh? Justin Trudeau. He is a somewhat beloved figure on the left. He is considered very telegenic. He is a self-professed male feminist. And now we find out had not just one instance, but really a habit. A habit of dressing in at least three instances in blackface, or it's also people have referred to it as brownface, uh, to look like he's from... Uh, South Asia, for example, I, I believe they think that or, or the Middle East there in one photo, I believe he dresses up as is it uh, he, or, or an Arabian Nights party. So, yes, that would be Middle Eastern. So he he painted his face and his arms brown. You can see the photos for yourself. This let me just say, and I you know this, I hate cancel culture. The day will come. Mark my words when all of you are going to have to stand beside me when I say something that's not wrong or bad because I'm a good person who doesn't say wrong or bad things, but says something that somehow the left will try to turn into me being a bad guy or me being a racist or me being whatever. And it will be on all of you to just say, nope, we know Buck. We've listened to Buck for a long time. We know we know his heart. We know his mind. And that's just not real. Cancel culture is terrible. This uh, decision that was made within the the corridors of the elite left in journalism media, the academy over the last 10 years or so to just try to find something in someone's background, even if at the time it was more, more commonplace or less. And I'm not talking about blackface specifically, just any number of things. Uh, Support of gay marriage. I'm sorry. Support of same sex. Gosh, support of traditional marriage. What I'm trying to say is enough to get you fired from your job, even at a time when Barack Obama himself was a traditional marriage politician right saying that he was for traditional marriage so they've gone back into people's past to try to destroy them we know what happens here right hypocrisy we know that conservatives are held to one standard liberals are held to another and the conservative standard is if we can get you we're going to get you the liberal standard is oh let's talk about nuance and all the good this person has done this justin trudeau conference was was astounding I, this guy was, it was just, he was groveling, pleading. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. And I just, I understand my privilege and 
I've just, I've lived a life with so much privilege and, and I know that that privilege, he just kept repeating the word like there's some evil guy named privilege that made him do this. It wasn't one case, by the way. And it wasn't like he got drunk one night and said, I'm going to do this stupid thing and went to a party. He did this three times. He, uh, according to the Daily Mail here, the three photos have emerged in the last 24 hours showing him in blackface. In one, he had dressed up to sing Deo on stage at a high school, which is a well-known Jamaican folk song about the country's working class, according to Daily Mail here. In another one, he wore brown makeup to attend an Arabian Nights party at age 29. And a third undated photo showed him in full blackface in a video. Three times this guy does this. Three times. And in the 2000s. This isn't 30 years ago. It's like 10, 15 years ago. 15 years ago. This isn't back in the 80s. Not that that would make it okay, but this is even more recent. And this guy is... Oh, the, the libs love him. He's their favorite. Oh, my gosh. He's so they say he's so handsome and smart and liberal and worldly and sophisticated. His dad was prime minister. He's a spoiled brat. Oh, but I am so good for uh, Canada. I am here. I am a very handsome Justin Trudeau. I just want to uh, say the most liberal platitude in this stuff possible. And well, not to know today he's got a little bit of a different a little bit of a different situation going for himself. Today he's got a problem. I, I think that people have particular Schadenfreude here. It's a great word. The, you know, Germ, Germans do have some words that are really, really useful. Schadenfreude is one of them. We are enjoying watching Trudeau in particular squirm. And man, is he squirmy right now. He's, I am so sorry about my privilege because all of the privilege that I've had for the many decades of my privilege. It's like, dude, come on. Wokeness in the past isn't supposed to be a free pass, or rather, wokeness today isn't supposed to be a free pass to do anything in your past. But he seems to think so. This is the same Justin Trudeau. And he doesn't really have a French accent. I I like to do like a cross between Justin Trudeau and some guy named Jean Pierre who is, you know, trapping beaver pelts up in Hudson Bay, you know? Where you get the, you fetch the, the best price in the trapping in the Hudson Bay, monsieur. I, don't know, I, I like that French Canadian Mountie kind of thing. Um, anyway, he doesn't sound like that. I know. So I should my Justin Trudeau impression really needs to get a lot better. But here he is. Speaking of, uh, of Justin Trudeau and how he sounds here, he is at a at a some kind of forum and a woman who's on his side. Mind you, a fellow liberal gets up to speak. And he corrects her. Maternal love is the love that's going to change the future of mankind. So we'd like you to. Look uh, we, we like to say people kind, not necessarily mankind, because uh, yeah. it's more inclusive. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> we like to say. Yeah. We like to say people kind. I think, uh, John, you're correct, sir. Trudeau just mansplained to say that it must be people kind. He doesn't let her live her truth. He doesn't know what kind of struggle she has had with the usage of the term mankind versus people kind. Why not humankind, Monsieur, Monsieur Trudeau? But that's, he is a smug, sanctimonious lib. I mean, the worst kind. And we've seen so many people. We just had a, uh, an SNL 
SNL cast member got fired from his job in this. Obviously, that's in this country. Although Lauren Michaels is Canadian. Fun fact, the guy who runs SNL. Uh, we had him. I don't remember the guy's name. He didn't really make it onto the cast. He got fired. He said he said he used a, a racial slur about Asians. And, you know, that's going to get you in a lot of trouble. But I would just note that, OK, he used a racial slur. Justin Trudeau is dressing in, in blackface multiple times. He clearly thought this was really funny. He clearly thought this was like edgy and cool. What a moron. I mean, he's always been, by the way, he's always been an empty suit. He's always been a guy that, you know, just because he looks a certain way and uses a certain phrases, you know, oh, I am, I just think that we should say people kind and I'm going to stare longingly into your eyes, Canada. Is, you know, it's just the whole thing. It's just it's intellectually flimsy, got where he is because of who daddy is. And, you know, now here we are. Dealing with, once again, liberals cannot live by the rules that they want to make conservatives live by. They can't live by them. You had Northam in Virginia, not just uh, not just in a blackface photo, also with a KKK guy, uh, you know, in a costume. And his his story, I mean, Trudeau is just saying, please don't be don't hate me. I am. I will do all of the social justice things you want. I promise, you know. Northam's thing was like, yeah, that's not me. We're like, my friend, it is you, okay? We're not idiots. It's you. No, no, that's not me. And then Mark Herring came out. And Mark Herring, who is the, not the number two, but the number three in the, uh, I think he's a state attorney general in Virginia. He says, yeah, he should, you know, Northam should probably step down. And then it comes out that Mark Herring had a blackface issue, if memory serves. And he's just like, what is with these guys? Libs, Democrats, Justin Trudeau, if you are making a global index of the top 10 social justice warriors in politics, I think Justin Trudeau would be a top 10, probably be top five. Who stops somebody and says, we prefer to say people kind? I mean, what kind of smug nonsense is that? And yet now we find out that not only is he annoying, it turns out he has horrible judgment. Horrible judgment. Three times? I, 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 even, I don't even think Northam was in three instances of blackface, as much as he's a liar about the blackface incident that he had. Three separate times? This guy, you know, I haven't been to that many costume parties as an adult, period. So, I mean, I, I mean by the way, when he was asked, oh my gosh, there's even more. When, when he was asked at this press conference, which was great viewing today, I watched almost all of it. But occasionally he would switch back into, oui, monsieur, uh, je, je m'appelle Justin Trudeau. He'd go into the whole, he actually would switch into the French. So he had to watch it go back and forth. But one of the, one of the members of the press all of a sudden said, uh, you know, hey, um, can you just tell us, are these all the blackface photos that are going to emerge? And he can't. He's like, well, I, I don't know. It's, um, there are certainly three of them. And I'm so sad because my privilege just got the best of me. And privilege is so pervasive. And. You know, just just blather, just trying to, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, but he can't tell us if there's, I mean, John, here's, 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 a fun, here's a fun game. Do you know how many, you know how many blackface photos there are of me in existence? Zero. You know how many blackface photos there are of you in existence? Zero. This is not hard. <laughs> this is not hard. So what is this? Uh, I don't know if there's, I mean, this guy Trudeau. Oh, he's just such a self-righteous fraud, folks, about all this stuff and how homage he cares. And Because here, let me just say this. 
if Trudeau were a guy who was always fighting for free speech and he was one of these liberals that still believed in liberty at some level, I don't think we should have cancel culture. I think we should give good people the benefit of the doubt. People can misspeak. People can share the wrong idea at the wrong time. You know, that can happen. If you were that guy, I would say, oh, okay, you know, maybe. Maybe you, you give him a little bit of slack here, but no. This, the guy who says you can't say mankind, say people kind, can't even tell you if there's a fourth, a fifth, maybe a dozen, he doesn't know, blackface photos of him out there. This, my friends, is liberalism today. This is leftism in America, in Canada, in Europe. It is an ideology that is all about the elevation of ego at the expense of reason and truth and facts and, and decency and honor and integrity. Just believe this thing. Do what we say. Believe this thing. And you'll be one of the good people. And you'll be able to get away with things that the other people won't. You will be elite by your, by, just by virtue of agreeing with this political machinery. Use the words we say. Agree with the policies that we prescribe and you will be among the elite. You'll be on the side of the good people and the smart people. Meanwhile, the rest of us say, what happened to decency, honor, integrity, individual freedom, individual rights? How about any of that? Does that ever get talked about here? No, of course not. Social justice is the only justice that matters to them. Do I think Trudeau is going to lose because of this? I'm not a good person to gauge where Canadian politics are going, but I can tell you this, they'll forgive him. Whenever a liberal messes up, whenever a liberal should be canceled under cancel culture, we have conversations about nuance and forgiveness and second chances. When a conservative makes a mistake, even a much, much smaller mistake than this, any Republican, anyone in Trump's circle, Trump himself, it's because he's evil, needs to be cast out, lose his job, lose his career. Lose his reputation. The only way to stop this is to fight back. We either make them live by these rules or we refuse to live by these rules, but we can't let them have it both ways. And we'll see what happens here with Trudeau, but I can promise you, Libs want to have it both ways. We got much more show coming. Stay with me. I was on Outnumbered today on Fox, and the, the subject of... Uh, Greta, Greta Thunberg came up, or rather I brought it up in the context of a climate change discussion. And uh, let me just say that I 100% stand behind exactly what I said, would say it the same way, and I respectfully disagree and would say that some of my colleagues on the couch today were wrong in what they said to me in response. So we were talking about climate change and the absurdity of some of the climate change stuff that's going on. Later, we'll discuss confessing your climate change sins at NBC. Here is how this exchange at the very end of the show today, which has now been turned into a left wing news story. And they're saying that I'm a kid basher. Play the clip. And they also had this young girl who's what, 16? Well, quite a summer. I mean, we're going to ask her about the Fed rate next. 
I, Come on. I, know, I, I, I don't think she's you're a, picking on children. She's a kid. Yeah, no, I'm not no picking on her, but she's testifying about climate change in front of Congress. What she actually... Would, well, let's talk about that. Let's yeah, talk about no, the good fashion. No kid bashing. Yeah, no kid bashing, especially a kid who is more alert to the challenges that are facing our planet no. than a no. great number okay. of I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. All the, all the women, and I like them all very much. They're very kind to have me on their show. They were all wrong there. That is wrong. I was not kid bashing. I said, should Congress ask her about the Fed rate? That's a completely legitimate way of posing the question, which is, should Congress be asking a 16-year-old girl about an enormously complicated scientific, environmental, and economic issue in the United States Congress? Should this be done? The answer is no, unless you're a crazy person. I did not bash her. I did not make fun of her. And no honest person could say otherwise. I am sorry, but my colleagues that on the couch were wrong. They were wrong. You heard the audio. That was what happened. Ah, but now the Daily Beast, one of the great trash heap websites in existence, just full of wokeness and leftists who are trying to out hip each other. I mean, out, you know, being more hip than one another. Um, here's what they wrote. Conservative pundit Buck Sexton seemingly thought on Thursday afternoon he was in a safe space to mock 16-year-old climate activist Greta Thunberg by appearing on Fox News. He apparently thought wrong. While sitting as the lone male guest of Outnumbered, Sexton joined forces with co-hosts, blah, blah, blah. Climate change is a religious belief for people who think they're too smart for religion, Sexton said, which is true, by the way. They're asking for forgiveness. Do you think there's a world where it makes a difference? The biggest weakness with this stuff, this is again quoting me, has always been the spokesperson for the movement. They also have this young girl who is what, 16? We're going to ask her about the Fed rate next? He snarked. You're damn right I did. Absolutely. I will double down. I will triple down. It is absurd, absolutely absurd, to have a 16-year-old girl testifying to Congress and saying, I want you to be scared. You must take action. The world's going to end. Like we're all a bunch of morons. It's on Congress for bringing her in there. If they brought a five-year-old in to give us a lesson on voter suppression, I would say that Congress is being stupid and they shouldn't ask a five-year-old about this. And then, well, you know, Jessica, who is a Democrat, and I like Jessica, but the whole she's more, you know, more that that Greta is more attuned to the. Th no, Greta's a sixteen-year-old girl who doesn't know what she's talking about. So Congress should not give her the platform. I stand behind it. Bring it, Daily Beast. And I'm sorry, but the ladies on the couch today, they're a little bit out of order on that one. A little bit. A little bit. Right now, whenever I go lobbying, or I was just spending like three days straight with my organization, Zero Hour. Uh, we were on the Capitol for three days straight, just lobbying, having meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings. And what we get all the time is politicians who will not pledge to take any action. They'll just pat us on the head and be like, good job. You know, you're so cute. You're so inspiring. Uh, maybe someday you should run for office and you can take action on climate, which is messed up because we only have about 18 months left in order to create the political environment in order to solve the climate crisis before it's too late so as a 17 year old throwing it on for them to throw it on a 17 year old's shoulders and say oh when you grow up you can do this well no by the time i grow up it's too late so i mean you know on monday i got to meet alexandria ocasio cortez who is a congresswoman who is an icon of mine and i look up to her and so the goal is you know i was standing out there in the balcony where presidents are inaugurated and i was looking out and i was like maybe i'll be standing up here getting inaugurated someday so it's not like that that dream is gone but 
my dream is not to become an elected official so I can solve the climate crisis, because by the time I'm old enough to be an elected official, it's going to be way too late. Now, am I allowed? I just want to know, am I allowed to, to criticize what was said here? I mean, this is a climate activist who's meeting with members of Congress, who's getting airtime on TV, Seattle Times, Rolling Stone, all, you know, they're, they're all doing these big glowing editorials and pieces on climate activist Jamie Margolin, but she's 17. So if I say what she's saying has no basis in reality and is entirely wrong, am I, am I, is that, is that kid bashing? Can I wait till she's 18? Does that, is that to, to, to criticize what she says? Is that the rule? I just want to know what the rules are. We all knew all along. It's just so funny. I've been telling you that they send this this young girl from Sweden to do this. Specifically, it's really just a trap for criticism. It's meant to do exactly what happened. But I'm not going to back down. I don't care. But it, it's meant to be exactly what happened with me, which is you say this is silly, which it is. This is stupid, which it is. Congress should not be giving a platform to a teenager on this complicated issue and treating her opinions on this with some deference and elevating it. It's it is absurd. And. Now you've got an, another situation here, Jamie Margolin, 17. I met with the, I think it's called the Sunshine Foundation or something, or the Sunshine Group. I forget that, but it's this climate change activist group of kids. And I don't mean 17-year-olds, I mean like 12-year-olds. And they gather and they go, and remember when, I think it was Diane Feinstein was like, well, maybe like you should actually learn something, little kid, and kind of patted him on the head when one of the kids was saying, you know, you have to save the world or else... They are fear-mongering to your children. They're teaching them this in public school. They are brainwashing them with this lunacy. And then when you try to deprogram the kids or say what the kids are saying isn't even accurate, you're a bad person. You're kid bashing. Classic victimology left-wing tactics. You're, oh, how could you as a kid? I'm not making, I'm not making fun of these young girls. That, would be, that wouldn't be a cool move. That's not okay. I'm not making fun of them. I'm making fun of the elevation of children into political discourse by people who are being disingenuous by adults who are being frauds who won't admit that what they're doing is crass is exploitative you know how many more teenagers get to lecture me or or the whole country and go to our united states congress get on tv i mean jake tapper the the most smug annoying lib on television jake tapper had uh did a whole piece on, on greta greta thunberg yesterday do you think that he was like yeah maybe this is a little bit a little bit much. No, of course not. It's all oh, she's so brave trying to help save the planet. You know, real fights, real existential conflicts involve choices, involve trade-offs are hard. Walking around and talking about how you want to save the planet all the time by doing some vague thing that will maybe cut some CO2 is just a waste. It's a waste of air, a waste of energy, a waste of money, a waste of effort. But it's so self-aggrandizing. Oh, it makes you feel so important. I'm saving the world. I'm saving the world. Who could be more worthy? I swear, it really, it, it just uh, drives me nuts. Um, drives me nuts. It really does. It is so disingenuous the way this debate ends up happening. And I've, I've been telling you about it all week. They're going to have it. And sure enough, Daily Beast. Oh, and other sites are picking this up now. You know, conservative pundit Buck Sexton thought he'd get away. Thought he'd get away with what? Saying that it's ridiculous that a 16-year-old is testifying in front of the Congress about climate change? Not about like high school or what it's like to deal with bullying. That I can understand. There's actual expertise there. A 16-year-old on climate change? No, I'm sorry. Doesn't know anything. 
Doesn't mean she's a bad person. I'm not putting her down. I'm sure she believes everything she says, and she's well-intentioned. That's all fine. But the Democrats in the Congress that are bringing her there are a bunch of clowns. Stand by at 100%. Not going to change. No one's going to make me change on this, because I'm right, and you know I'm right. Being right these days, not enough. Oh, nope, not when the woke police come for you. Not when the social justice warriors think that they can... uh, you know, add add one conservative to the body count. Oh, let's you're gonna have to do better than that, Libs. Not today, not on my watch. Hey Libs, I don't think I'll let you be arresting me today. Behan. I think that's where we are on this one. And uh, I, I and I have to say I was I was disappointed with the reaction on the couch. My point was not only not only was my point not worthy of the accusation, my point was correct. I would make it again a hundred times. I'm right. You know that I'm right, which is why you listen to this show, because it's the best show. We'll be right back. First of all, I want to thank the whistleblower uh, for coming forward, for having the courage uh, to follow the procedures as they're written in law, to make a lawful disclosure to the Congress and to the Inspector General of conduct uh, that was gravely concerning to the whistleblower. Under the law, when a whistleblower does that, the Inspector General has two weeks to investigate that complaint to determine if it's urgent and credible uh, and to forward that complaint to the Director of National Intelligence. The Inspector General made exactly those determinations, found that this was within the jurisdiction of the Director of National Intelligence, uh, that it was an urgent matter. Uh, and it met the statutory requirements that it dealt with a serious or flagrant abuse, violation of law, or other misconduct or misuse of resources. What then is supposed to happen is the Director of National Intelligence has seven days to review the complaint, and then they shall provide it to the Congress. And they shall instruct, through the Inspector General, the whistleblower, how the whistleblower can come directly to Congress. In the absence of that whistleblower law, there is no lawful mechanism for an intelligence community employer, detailee, or contractor to raise a complaint about serious misconduct. Libs will never learn, folks. I'm sorry that you had to hear so much from Shifty Shift there, but the Libs will never, ever learn. They just can't help themselves. They, they will believe what Adam Schiff says, they will run with this story. You would think, given the very recent and in-depth and repeated history of, oh, now they've got, oh, there's a new thing that came out about Trump. This is it. He's done. Maybe newspapers would be a little more circumspect, just, just a little more skeptical Before they ran with, oh, whistleblower, very serious things about President Trump. Very serious. Oh, my gosh. Trump's days in office are numbered. I assure you, they're only numbered by the next election, and the next election's looking really good. What is the the heart of this whistleblower complaint? Well, before I even get into the, the details of it, I can tell you this. There is no shortage of people inside the federal government, particularly inside the federal bureaucracy, who are part of the hashtag resistance. They think that Trump is a bad and evil man and anything that they have to do, anything that they must do in order to 
fight back against Trump, including misuse of their official position, including violating their oaths of office. They feel justified in that. And if they can find a way to use the system, you know, like Comey and McCabe and Brennan and Yates and Clapper and and Strzok and Page, and if they can find a way to use the government system itself against the president for political purposes, they think that's a great idea. They see no problem with that or in that. In fact, they just see an opportunity. That's what they see. And that's so that's the that's just the necessary backdrop, I think, for our understanding of this whistleblower complaint. Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do here on the same week when they oh, they're they're subpoenaing Trump's taxes? Oh, there's a whistleblower complaint. Oh, the emoluments clause. <laughs> just it's hard. It's hard to keep up on this. It really is. Um, so this is from CNN, a.k.a. anti-Trump central. I know, I know. Don't get mad at me for reading from CNN. It's just if you want to know what the Trump haters are saying, you got a one stop shop at CNN. It is the Trump derangement news network. Here's what it says. The intelligence inspector general suggested the House intelligence community today that the whistleblower had concerns about multiple actions. Oh, no. Good heavens. The inspector general did not specifically say all the acts of concern involved the president. One source said the inspector general referenced a sequence of events and alleged actions that took place. Another source disputed that the inspector general provided substantive details regarding the whistleblower claim. CNN earlier reported, citing a source familiar with the case, the complaint was prompted by concerns over a phone call between the president and a foreign leader. Inspector General Michael Atkinson was pressed for details, but was mostly resistant to the queries, saying he is not allowed to provide details of the substance of the complaint because he was not authorized to do so. He's discussing the process for his handling of the whistleblower's concerns. Um, so here we go. Now we have another. Oh, it could be could be huge if true. Huge if true against Trump. That's what they'll say. And I saw today, and now keep in mind, this is, none of this is very, well, first of all, Trump has already said this is just fake news, it's crap. None of this has been verified, so if this turns out to not be the exact story, uh, then, you know, excuse me for telling you what the crazy stuff is that they're saying about Trump, but we have to, we have to know. Uh, here's what we have been told, that Ukrainian President Zelensky was on the phone with Trump and this is this is the allegation that's out there. And then Trump told Zelensky that if you reopen the probe into Biden. Um, and specifically whether or not Biden fi- made a made the Ukrainians fire. A. Prosecutor who was looking at a Ukrainian gas com- uh, gas company. Or might have been an oil company, gas company, I forget, fossil fuel company that was paying Hunter Biden, who we all know has a very messy past and background, paying Hunter Biden millions of dollars. So that prosecutor had to get pushed aside. This is the story. And if I recall, my old colleague at the Hill, John Solomon, was the one who broke this story. That colleague, uh, rather, that, uh, that prosecutor had to get pushed aside. And Now there's this story out there that maybe Trump would say to him, open up again. uh, What's going on? Open this up again. 
Take a look at this again. Is this true? I don't know. I think it's very unlikely to be true. And I think that the lib media never learns its lesson about whether or not they should just go all in on these stories. Although this then goes to my theory, which is that the audience for these publications, the New York Times, CNN and elsewhere, they don't get mad when these stories are wrong. They understand the intent behind the stories is not the truth. The intent behind these stories is to attack Trump. And if it works for a few days and then it falls apart, well, then that's fine, because for a few days there was a perception that was created. There was a negativity around this. There was an, oh, my gosh, Trump is you know terrible. And then when it turns out, it looks like he's not terrible, or at least he's not terrible for this. They go, well, let's just move on past it. Let's just move. Once we've done the damage, then we move. We move on and don't pay any attention to it anymore. You know, once we've we've created this mess, we have no journalistic obligation to clean it up. I do think that's very likely what happened here. Does anybody really believe that there will be a a reckoning for Trump based on this this whistleblower? Of course not. But then again, does anybody really believe that uh, there's going to be a reckoning for Trump based on the tax returns in New York State? Of course not. New York State already has it. The IRS already has I mean, this is just more blather, more nonsense from the left all the time. Oh, I'm wondering when they're going to decide that they uh, hate this guy, O'Brien, who is uh, President Trump's new national security advisor. Just a quick note on this. It's a privilege to serve with the president and to, uh, we look forward to, to another year and a half of peace through strength. We've had tremendous foreign policy successes uh, under President Trump's leadership. I expect those to continue. Uh, we've got a number of challenges, but there's a great team in place with Secretary Pompeo and uh, Secretary Esper, Secretary Mnuchin and others. I look forward to working with them and, uh, and working with the president to uh, keep America safe and continue to rebuild uh, our military and, uh, and really get us back to a peace through strength posture that will keep uh, the American people uh, uh, safe from the many challenges around the world today. Oh, my gosh, who is this man? Liberal media is going to turn on. They've never heard of this guy before, although he did get sent. He was like the special envoy at the behest of the president to free ASAP Rocky, um, who I believe is a hip hop artist whom I learned about in the last few months because of some stuff that went stuff that went down uh, in Sweden. And so O'Brien was sent to get ASAP Rocky out of Swedish prison. Which I got to tell you, in Swedish prison, I think they bring you a lot of very well-appointed, uh, inexpensive furniture that you can build yourself, and the food's probably very good. It's a lot of a lot of pickled herring, and uh, very very expensive beer. For those of you who've been to Stockholm, you know what I'm talking about. If, if I ha- look, if I had to go to prison in like a relatively major company, I mean a uh, country, I think it'd be Sweden. I mean, if you could go to prison in Monaco, there's only one jail cell and it does have a view of the ocean. I remember reading about this. But if you're going to go to prison in a country with more than 10 million people, I think it would probably be Sweden. It'd all be like, is your pillow comfy? Does your pillow feel soft? Is that? No? no. You don't watch Sesame Street? Swedish, the Swedish chef? Okay, whatever. So anyway, they, they try to get ASAP Rocky out or they did get ASAP Rocky out. And now this guy, O'Brien, is national security advisor. Uh, we, we need to stop thinking that everybody who's going to hold the senior government job is has to be a famous person or a person we've all heard of. 
I'm sure he's been doing this a long time. He seems fine. We'll learn more about him over time. Libs will freak out about this. They'll find a way. They just haven't found it yet. Trust me. We are not here today because of famous arches or famous men. In fact, we're not here because of men at all. We're not here because of men at all. I got news for Elizabeth Warren. Without a man, you would not be here. In fact, without a man, none of us would be here because, in fact, there had to have been a man involved in the procreation process for any of us to exist. So to say that for, you know, without a man, we, I'm just, it's just not true. It's just factually. Hashtag fact check. You need to have a man or else without that, none of us would be. And, and a woman. Wow, look at that. It's almost, you know, unitive and procreative. And, and there's a, there's the, the male and the female and they go together. And this is what, this is the species. And oh, wow. Two genders, not 37, two. Uh, but Elizabeth Warren gave her speech down in uh, uh, Washington Square Park where, as much as producer John mocks me, that's where I do all my speed chess. Searching for Bobby Fischer. Remember that movie? I liked that movie. I actually watched it a bunch of times. I don't know why. I guess just like anything with Lawrence Fishburne and Ben Kingsley. I'm like, yeah, I can get into this. It's about a little, it's about a little nerd who plays a lot of chess. <laughs> Let's be honest. He's like, I just, I want to play chess, but I also want to have friends. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. It's like, I don't want to defeat people at the chessboard because that may make them feel bad about themselves. It's like, kid, you're going to get so many wedgies unless you just, you know, you got to step it up, buddy. You, know, you, you gotta are be... a rude, terrible person. That's probably true, apparently. And, and apparently a kid basher. Oh, look at this. Oh, Buck is bashing kids again. Bashing little, little not. He, actually, Bobby Fischer was the, a chess player. This guy's name was like Josh something or other, I think. Can't remember his name. The character from the movie. But, yup, more kid bashing. Oh, he's so mean to the kids. It's not true. Uh, what, what, you know, we, we understand. We understand that people uh, say all kinds of things about the Buckster that are not true. That's not fair, but that's all right. Life, life goes on. We have to move on. So Elizabeth Warren is down there. And, and what I think is interesting is that today you have the Drudge Report essentially saying that the big headline is Warren rising, her nomination to lose, the crowds, the momentum. I, I do think that this is, to borrow from Yogi Berra, Deja vu all over again. I think that Libs didn't learn any of the lessons they needed to learn from uh, the last time around with Hillary in 2016. And I think that they they view Elizabeth Warren as being able to get done what Hillary couldn't. And she brings all that, you know, breaking the ultimate glass ceiling, you know, woman's empowerment uh, stuff, you know, feminism, blah, blah, all that brings all that to the table, too. All of it. All of it. So the problem with Elizabeth Warren is that it will come up a lot during the campaign that she's not just a fraud. It's not like she just did things, let's say, that were shady in business or which would be bad. But it's that she's a fraud that is worthy of ridicule. I mean, she's a fraud in that she was listed in the Harvard directory as the first Native American professor in the history of Harvard Law School. That's. That's something that is, is worth noting. There was a story today in the Babylon Bee, which some of you I'm sure are familiar with, that was Elizabeth Warren admits to appealing. Uh, sorry, Elizabeth Warren admits to appearing in paleface at party. So the Babylon Bee is just one example of what you can expect going forward. We have not forgotten about the fact that not only did she 
lie about that whole Native American thing to advance her career for a very... Remember, these are all the same people that, oh, Trump lies about this and he lies about that. I always ask, what's the big lie that Trump has told? You know, that, that his crowds are the biggest and his buildings are the best. And, you know, that that's really just braggadocio. That's exaggeration. That's hyperbole, salesmanship. What's the big lie? We're like, oh, my gosh, how could Trump lie about that? Um, I mean, I don't know what, like the Stormy Daniels stuff. I, I thought that in the post Bill Clinton era, sexual conduct was considered, you know, between consenting adults was considered private and we don't need to worry about this. You know, it's just. Libs constantly change the, the standards to suit their to suit their women at any point in time. Elizabeth Warren wasn't just somebody who used racial fraud to advance her career. She's also someone who uh, very clearly still believed or thought that she could pull one over on us as recently as what was it a year ago now that she came out with that DNA test and it was like look. I'm actually Native American. And you're like, well, you're, yeah, you're about one 1,024th Native American. You loon. It was just a crazy thing to do. It was a crazy thing to do, but she did it. And she's also, a, I just think that she's a complete and utter demagogue. And I think that she doesn't really believe a lot of the stuff that she says, or rather she knows that it's not true, but she'll say it because it appeals to people. But if it's between her and, excuse me, I don't know where I am, Biden, I can understand why they might want to go with Elizabeth Warren over Biden. I mean, Biden is, oh, here's, here's a perfect example. We, we got a great Bidenism for you. You get a tax break for a racehorse. Why in God's name couldn't we provide an $8,000 tax credit for everybody who has child care costs? It would put, it would put $720 million back million women back in the workforce it would increase the gdp to sound like a wonk here by about eight tenths of one percent it would grow the economy not 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 to sound like a like a wonk here but uh you know i mean i mean at least 720 million women in america back in the workforce he said that okay he said it and look i do three hours of live radio a day i I misspeak sometimes i stumble people are very hard in this audience by the way if i if I have a day where I'm a little tired, a little too many ums, a little too many, a little too many I means, I hear about it. Buck, I listen to you because of the precision of your speech and you don't use unnecessary filler words. I expect that you keep that tradition going or else I may just have to find somebody else to listen to. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I was, I, was a little, I was a little hungover. Me and producer Mark were out drinking some ouzo and things got a little crazy. You know, stuff happens. Do you like ouzo, by the way? Could we do that at some point? I think so, sure. All right, cool. We'll drink some ouzo. You gotta celebrate your new your upcoming nuptials. But so here, here's what happened. Biden says 720 million women. Look, you could stumble like this fine. He says it though, and he doesn't catch it. Which makes you think that he he is he's a practiced demagogue. You know, he's just gonna say these things because he thinks it's what he's supposed to say, but he doesn't think about what he is saying. He doesn't give it any any thought processes. It's just, well, this is what you say to get the people to clap. Yay, Biden. I mean, that's that's the approach. And that's what I mean by he's a he's a perfect demagogue. That's how he does things. Uh, Warren's a demagogue, too, but at least she knows what state she's in. And she doesn't think there are 720 million women when, as we know, there are about 330 million people in America. So unless there's a whole lot of women who are being hidden somewhere, I, I don't think that there's 700 million of them 
here. Um, but then you have, well, what, what's the alternative? Who, who's in a, who's in a better spot um, than Elizabeth Warren or, or Biden? I mean, I'm just like, I'm not going to go away yet because I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I really think that we should take all of your guns and, and in case you were curious about like whether Beto wants to take your guns away, the answer is like, yeah, he he does. And he's talking to Bro Cuomo. Oh, yeah. Creatine and Swole Club, baby. Booyah. Are you, in fact, in favor of gun confiscation? Yes. When it comes to AR-15s and AK-47s, weapons designed for use on a military battlefield, the high-impact, high-velocity round that is fired from those weapons, when it hits your body, All right, this is where I got to con- pause for a second. As I've said, there's nothing, there's no such thing as a not high-impact, not high-velocity round coming out of a firearm. You know, if, if you get shot with a with a, a thirty eight, that bullet's going very fast. It's going to hurt a lot and it will kill you. If you get shot with a twenty two close enough, you will be very dead depending on where it hits you. They're all high velocity. So unless everyone's going to have a twenty two, but then you have, well, that's not useful, particularly now. Someone's going to say, Buck, I can kill a I can kill a deer with a twenty two at six hundred meters. You know, we always there's somebody in this. Uh, there's always a wise guy in this audience who's like the gun super smith who could, you know. He's like, I, I once had a slingshot and I killed a saber-toothed tiger while wearing my NRA t-shirt. So I don't think that, you know, I'm like, okay, fine. You know, you are the slingshot guru or whatever. So good, good things. Um, but, I mean, Beto wants to take your guns. And then you have Mayor Pete, who's just bitter. And then Kamala, who everyone's really forgotten about. The only ones that I, I the only ones that don't really just agitate me that much are um, Yang and, and Tulsi. And Tulsi's left wing, don't get me wrong. She says things about the president that are horrible, that are untrue. But I just, I don't find her deeply unlikable the way I do most of the rest of these Democrat candidates. They're not inspiring, charming people. You know, say what you will about Trump. And I think he's done a lot of great things as president. And I think he's been a very solid president, all things considered. Uh, and the guy's an incredible entertainer. He has an unbelievable energy and and electricity that comes from him when he's on stage during these arenas and you're going to put Biden or Warren up against that? I'm here because I think that we should not have to rely on men to be here. Oh, America, do you really want to hear that for the next eight years possibly? I hope not. We'll be right back. So I'm proposing Medicare for all who want it. It's just, it's just a little bit different from the idea of Medicare for all, whether you want it or not. The, the way I see it, if we take a version of Medicare, we make it available to the American people, and that public alternative, which I expect to be better, will outcompete the private ones. But instead of just assuming that I'm right and ordering you to switch over whether you want to or not, we're going to see if we're right. We're going to put it out there and let Americans choose because I trust you to make the right decision for your family when it comes to your health care. Think about what this would actually mean. There you have Mayor Pete, who is, I, I think you could argue the, I think you could argue he's the wonkiest of the Democrats, meaning the biggest wonk, like the 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 smartest on policy issue of of all the Democrats. I think you could argue that. Um, and I think that, what he's saying here 
just goes to show you how far left the Democrat Party has really gone, because if you open up a public option that somebody can just choose, um, then guess what? People are going to be pushed on to that. Employers are going to say, why, why am I going to why am I going to pay for your health care when I can just say, go get the public option? Everybody will just be pushed to the matter. You know, the the system will break down very quickly in this way. Because a lot of employers will say, well, I can get a great savings now by pushing you onto the public option. I'm just going to do it. And Medicare already does not pay enough to a lot of hospitals to cover the cost of the procedures that are done. Medicaid uh, is even lower levels of reimbursement. And if you have higher usage of Medicare by people in the system through this Medicare for all program, then you're just going to increase wait times. You're going to create shortages. You're going to create rationing within that program that's just what's going to happen but liberals still just like with with all central planners they think this time they'll get it right this time it will be different unfortunately they're wrong there's another thing that mayor pete had to talk about here um and that is and this is just a, a a ghoulish and deeply disturbing story there were there was a doctor um, in Illinois, a doctor in South Bend, I'm sorry, in Illinois, rather, who had 2,000 fe- uh, fetal remains found in his home. Here's what Mayor Pete said to react to this. Like everyone, uh, I find that news out of Illinois extremely disturbing, and uh, I think it's important that that be fully investigated. I also hope that it doesn't get caught up in politics at a time when women need access to health care. There's no question that what happened is disturbing, it's unacceptable, and it needs to be looked at. This does remind me a bit of the liberal position uh, after 9-11. Remember, the liberal position after 9-11 is the biggest thing that we have to be concerned about. We had almost 3,000 Americans killed, died in crashes. Some of them died in fires, jumped out of buildings, crushed to death. Almost 3,000 of them. And the primary liberal takeaway from this for a lot of publications and a lot of liberal journos is I have to really watch out for all that Islamophobia. Here we have a story about a doctor who was keeping thousands of dead babies at his home. And you notice how Mayor Pete Im- immediately switches into, yeah, that's a little, that, that's disturbing. Um, let's just hope it doesn't affect women's right to uh, terminate a pregnancy and, and to do this procedure that leads to the dead babies. This is a piece today from uh, David Mastio. Abortionist Ulrich Klepfer kept thousands of dead babies but inspires little curiosity. Yeah, this is a story that's gotten largely buried by the mainstream media. There's something sick, he writes, in America's abortion industry. What else would account for a doctor who collected thousands of dead babies in some kind of twisted hobby that he hid from his allegedly unsuspecting wife? 2,246 fetuses were found medically preserved in Ulrich Klepfer's garage last week after he died on September 3rd. And now the attorneys general of Illinois and Indiana are investigating how the human remains got from Klepfer's network of Indiana abortion clinics to his rural Illinois home and what laws might have been violated. Klepfer isn't the only abortionist to enjoy keeping trophies of his grisly work close to hand. 
America's most infamous baby killer, Kermit Gosnell, also kept body parts in milk jugs and glass jars at his clinic in Philadelphia before he was convicted in 2013 of on three counts of murder for snipping the spinal cords of babies born alive. Like Gosnell, Klepfer's clinic shut down after state inspectors found worrying medical and record-keeping problems. 2,000 dead babies at this guy's house. He was keeping dead babies as though they were mementos or trophies. How is this not a major national news story? Well, you got a sense from Mayor Pete as to exactly why that is. If they have to suppress this story, if they have to make sure that no one hears about the uh, above ground mass grave of dead babies in, at a doctor's home in Illinois from abortion clinics. If they have to make sure that that gets suppressed, no one really hears about it because it'll protect those abortion clinics from further scrutiny, then that's all completely fine. The left goes along with it. They have no problem with it whatsoever, as long as it protects a woman's right to choose. Single most important thing ever for the left. Uh, Mayor Pete, who lectures us all so often about the Bible. Well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. I'm quite certain the Bible would have a lot to say about keeping the bodies of 2,000 dead babies at your home, over 2,000, and some kind of sick hobby ritual. We don't even know what this guy, the guy's dead, who was a doctor, which is how we found out about this. Um, but liberals aren't outraged about this the way they a normal person would be. You know why? Because they consider, and just go back to the uh, David DeLayden videos and the Center for Medical Progress, they consider these tiny bodies, these tiny human beings, the remains of little human beings, to be just medical waste. Like someone's, uh, you know, like, like a, a tumor that was cut out of somebody. Or, you know, someone's you know, residue after a surgery. That's what they think of this. So, and they won't admit that publicly, but that is the truth. And Mayor Pete is a disgrace for his stance on this issue, but we already knew that. The, the other test, and I think this is a test that's not well understood by some of the candidates in the race and not what has not been well debated, is, is our democracy up to this task? And that is a really non-trivial question because... I mean, it clearly isn't right now. So far, we have not. We haven't been. And, 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 and when you lose a national race, as we did in 16, to a climate denier... That creates a real concern because you can't act urgently on climate if you have a climate denier in the White House. What would acting urgently on, on, on climate mean? And, and I would want to ask, why didn't Obama do this? When Obama had a majority in the House and the Congress, I mean, a House and the Senate. Why didn't he take dramatic action? I mean, if we only had, you know, 10 or 12 years or whatever to live. We only had, what, 15 or 20 years to live when Obama came. If, if the science is so clear, why didn't Obama do something? Why does Obama not care if we all die from climate change? Clearly, he doesn't care. Why would Obama buy a $15 million house on the beach if we were going to be uh, certain that the entire eastern seaboard, Florida, a lot of places are going to be underwater in 30 years? Seems like a strange purchase. At least might affect your, you could say, well, Buck, he'll sell it when things get really bad. But yeah. I would think that you'd be a little more concerned about this if you were concerned about it at all, which I don't think Obama is. But 
this climate change thing, you, you can't even make up how absurd this has gotten now. Uh, you now have, what was it? I think it was NBC. I, I got to make sure I get this right. NBC News had a confess your climate crimes. Um, yeah, here you go. Confess your climate crimes on a website. And people started putting stuff out there like blast the AC, cook a steak. This is NBC News. I'm sorry. Blast the AC, cook a steak once a week. Where do you fall short in preventing climate change? Tell us with climate confessions. Climate confessions is a real thing. Producer Mark, do you have any climate confessions? Did you have a burger this week, you evil, selfish man? I mean, I've been on a diet, but I still eat pork and meat and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, look at you. Are you going vegan just for the, you know, just to get into uh, wedding shape? Will vegan really put me in wedding shape? I don't know. I think vegan makes your teeth fall out and, you know. <laughs> I'm eating extra protein. <laughs> there we go. Extra protein. Oh, I just got a wisdom tooth. Do you have a climate set? So I mean, are, really are you are you a keep the apartment? Ver- I keep my apartment at sixty eight degrees all the time. All oh, the yeah. time. Yeah, I get very warm very quickly. Yeah, producer John, what about you? Where do you keep it? You don't have a mic. Okay, fine. He's not looking at the mic right now. He's busy cutting the show. And I don't even stuff. have AC. That's how environmentally friendly I am. Yeah, right. I don't buy that for one second. Nonsense. Have you ever been in a, have you ever been in an apartment when the AC goes out and you have no choice but to sleep in it? It is a it is a an eye-opening experience, let me tell you that, because it's very if you're used to sleeping in a 68 degree room and all of a sudden you're supposed to sleep in a 75 degree room, it's not happening. I have to sleep with at least a fan, at least. At least a fan. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But so people saw this confess your climate sin craziness. Okay, and we saw um, Bennett there saying, uh, you know, he sounds kind of like a okay, a guy from South Park, you know, that guy. What's his name? The, you know, the teacher guy who, what's that guy? Michael name? Bennett. Yeah, no, I know, like, I know his name is Michael Bennett. Who's the teacher from? Mr. Mackey, thank you. Okay, yeah, he's, Michael Bennett sounds like him. Why did you, mm, we have a climate denier in the White House, okay? Uh, people saw this confess your climate sin thing. And they they decided uh, to say things like, I sleep with the air conditioner on year-round and justify it to myself by recycling. Oh, my gosh. I fly too much, partially due to work, but on the flip side, I do not own a car. I will use the easiest method of transportation for the distance I am traveling. I travel often to conferences flying. I think about the emissions, and I try to justify it with the plane is going there anyway. These are people's actual climate confessions. They, they feel guilty about this stuff. They feel concerned about this. They think that there's some, some issue, some worry that they should have because they fly on planes occasionally. Well, then some other people uh, started pointing out how completely and utterly bonkers this is. Um, and they started trolling this thing, which was a lot of fun. They're just like, I eat steak. I leave the AC on at 60 year round. Yeah, that's what that's what we should do. Just lean into them, man. This is the the people who believe this. They've they're nuts. They're just wrong. They've lost their minds. It doesn't matter if we use straws. It doesn't matter if you use AC. These are all good things. Actually, AC has probably saved a lot of lives from heat stroke over the last you know hundred years. But that's a conversation for another time.
The origins of this are Ronald Reagan, 1967, when he wanted to clean up the air down in Los Angeles, the smog. It led to the Clean Air Act in 1970. Richard Nixon, uh, bipartisan. Uh, they'd be rolling their graves right now of what the Republican administration is doing, and moreover, what the Republican Party is doing. Complicit, complete silence on states' rights, but also free enterprise. Mm. I'll repeat what I just said. They're calling private sector corporations to the mat and threatening them. Again, I don't think this. I know this from the personal conversations I've had and by the actions of the Department of Justice. What happened to the Republican Party? Uh, what happened to California? California, for those who just want a little bit of a, uh, a, little bit of, of a refresher, uh, was in fact a pretty reliable Republican state at the national election level. California uh, was a place that uh, was solidly Republican. You had Eisenhower back in 1952. Okay, so the Golden, St- the Golden State went for the Republican presidential candidate more often than not for a long time. You had two solid Reagan victories, 1984, 1980. George W. Bush won the state of California against Dukakis. But then again, I was seven years old and I would I would have won the state of California against Dukakis in 1988. But in the 2016 election, for example, Hillary Clinton, the uh, scandal ridden, charmless, pantsuit clad ultra grifter and twice presidential loser, she crushed President Trump in California, 62.3 percent to 31.9 percent. What has been the huge change there? Well, only 25 percent of the state's almost 20 million registered voters are Republicans. So this is now the ultimate liberal stronghold. You've had more than anything else, the single, the single biggest shift of any kind in California is demographics and it's immigration, particularly illegal immigration from Latin America, notably Mexico, but other places as well. And the state is now has now been flipped. It's a Democrat state. You're, you're not going to win in California statewide and you're not going to win as uh, as president. And so then you get to what happens in a state where there really is only one party in power. Well, there's no real accountability. That's why Gavin Newsom was complaining about Trump and environmental regulation, rather the lack of environmental regulations. Doesn't seem to understand that the rest of us looking at this say, no, California should have to live with the decisions that it makes as a state and live with them for quite a while. California should have to deal with its own bad policies. Right now, there's this big push to get federal dollars in to deal with the homelessness crisis there. You have a homelessness crisis in San Francisco, a homelessness crisis in Los Angeles. When I was in L.A., I don't know, maybe six, seven months ago, going around, you'll just see you'll see what looks like a tent city. People living on the streets. And I would note that there's a lot of open air drug use. People leave those drug needles in the street. I mean, just when people say things like leaving a drug needle in the street, I know it sounds like, well, you know, okay, how would you feel if your eight year old uh, you know, was walking down the street and stepped on a used hypodermic needle. I mean, it's a terrifying thought, but I do think it's important to understand how, how would you feel about that? People are leaving needles all over the streets in San Francisco, all over the streets in Los Angeles. New York streets are getting more dirty and unsafe, too. And there's a reason for this. There are liberal policies that have created this situation. Right? We should be getting more efficient at the government level. We have better research. We have better technology, better resources. We're pouring all this money into it. The problem of homelessness and, and housing 
you know, you know, I think what's the word housing insecurity is I think what they call it. I mean, I've had to move 10 times in my life as an adult. This is not my 11th time. So I think that in some way I'm housing insecure, too. Um, and I also love this is why we had the two roommates thing yesterday with Bernie Sanders. Nobody on a minimum wage job can afford a two bedroom, two bath condo with with water views, probably a nice balcony, maybe indoor parking. Nobody can afford that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can't afford that now. And I don't have a minimum wage job. And I'm almost 40. So I don't really know what the what the burn is is getting at there. But in California, the homelessness crisis is a combination of a lot of factors. Well, look, they, they have better weather, which this isn't a silly point. This is a real one. So that means that the nation's homeless are more likely if they can get to California. If somebody wants to choose a life on the street, much better to do it in Santa, Mo- Santa Monica than try to do it in you know, Minneapolis. Minneapolis is a pretty rough place to be trying to sleep on the street in January. So the climate does play a role. Okay, fine. But it's gotten a lot worse. And California has been a warm, you know, has been a, uh, a cozy place to, to set up shop for a long time. So it can't just be that. So what else could be the situation? Well, if you really want to look at a policy level as to why there's greater homelessness, I mean, Gavin Newsom can whine about Trump and say what happened to the Republican Party. Yeah, we're, we're for conservation. We're for clean water and clean air. CO2 doesn't make water and air not clean. The CO2 thing is a delusion. They keep trying to fold this in. That's a delusion. They're wrong. And if they weren't delusional about it, then they wouldn't listen to teenagers testifying on incredibly complicated issues in front of Congress. It is Congress that deserves, and Democrats, and the statists who support them that deserve mockery for this. They can try to do the whole oh human shield thing. Oh, she's a teen. I know what they were. I know what they were doing. I was disappointed that some of my colleagues today on the couch jumped. Uh, look, they just jumped the gun. They were just they were wrong. They were wrong on on outnumbered saying no no child bashing or no kid bashing. I wasn't bashing a child. Go back and read the transcript. And that they all kind of parroted each other on that. I thought was, um, I thought that was uh, unfair, clearly, and it was unfair and incorrect. More importantly. But the climate change stuff always gets folded into clean air and clean water. Um, when I had that, when I was in D.C., they sent out some notice not to drink water out of the tap. This is true because they were concerned that there had been a raw sewage leakage into drinking water. So in D.C., living a few blocks from the White House, I got a note from the D.C. city government, which is even more dysfunctional, I think, than the New York city government, which is saying something. Uh, saying, you know, hey, sorry, but you may have like a little bit of fecal matter in your water, untreated, you know, just a little raw sewage. So if it's, a, you know, if you have a little bit of that in your water, just uh, heads up on that. You know, it should work its way out of the system in a few days. Needless to say, I became an Evian and Perrier man for a couple of days, even for brushing my teeth. It was like I was back in the third world with the CIA. That's one thing. There's that feeling, man, when you're in some place. And you're drinking water that, that, that isn't, there's not really indoor plumbing, but maybe they have a kind of a, a hanging cistern of sorts. And you can turn a little tap and you, and you forget that you can do this to wash your hands. You do not want to brush your teeth with that water. That stuff, that, you get creepy crawlies in your mouth, man. It's bad. You don't want to know what happens. So anyway, the idea that I, I don't care about clean water is obviously nonsense because I was freaked out about the poop in the water in D.C. for days, even though I don't know how much there was and and what could have happened. 
So this is a this is a straw man that liberals create that we don't care about the environment that we of, of course we do. Everyone does. Nobody wants rivers to be so polluted that, you know, you can get sick from going in them and there's all kinds of heavy chemicals and everything else. And so we have an EPA. The EPA does things to prevent that from happening. But the EPA also has a lot of excesses and a lot of ideologues. And instead of focusing on the real mission, which should be making sure water is clean. I mean, Flint, Michigan's a real problem. That was a real problem. Climate change is not. Climate change is an imaginary problem. But instead of just agreeing to work with us on what's real, they would rather try to mock us and ridicule us for not wanting to join them on what's fake, including Gavin or Newsom. So they complain about us on the environment. And then they also complain when we don't want to give them additional federal dollars to bail them out from their bad urban policies. And here are some of the areas where they are making this problem much worse. Housing is very difficult and expensive to build in Los Angeles County and in San Francisco because of all the different zoning ordinances, all the different regulations, environmental regulations. It's a very hard thing. Building housing for middle class people is not cost effective in these places. And because it's not cost effective, guess what, lib socialists? People don't do it. And because developers don't want to build cost effective housing where they can make a profit because they're in business in those places, you have housing shortages. What happens with a housing shortage? Prices go up. This is a problem of Econ 101. They can pretend it's not there, but the problem is definitely there. And then you also have the other side of this, which is just the quality of life crimes issue, which I was getting to with hypodermic needles and leaving this on the streets. I remember what it was like in New York when it was a free for all. It was a very bad, scary place to be. You did not want to be in New York City when things were looking really bad back in the day. It was rough. It was rough. Um, if you called someone because you had a homeless person who was living in your in your stairwell of your building. Good luck trying to get them to come and take the person out and trespassing and you know, people would be urinating and leaving their drugs there and doing all kinds of things. And that was just life in the big city for a while. And then eventually Giuliani, thank you, Mayor Giuliani, came along and was like, you know what? We're just no more of this. People work hard. People of all backgrounds, all ethnicities, all religions are working hard in this city, doing the best they can. They deserve to feel like when they come home, they don't have somebody taking a, a you know, a, a, a urination break on their front on their front steps. And they shouldn't have to worry about their kids stepping on needles walking home from school. And we're going to clean it up. Libs don't like to do that stuff because you know why? It involves making arrests for things. It involves arresting people. It involves putting people into the system and punishing them. Not just saying, oh, we're going to give you a lot of free stuff. Saying, you know, there are certain things you can't do even if you're really down on your luck. Quality of life crimes liberals do not want to enforce. And housing policy liberals are a complete mess on. And they just want to shovel more federal dollars at this so that the very same Democrats in California who have been doing this stuff to get elected, they're going to continue to get elected because they're going to shovel the federal dollars uh, to the, the people of California that, you know, and they're going to tell them, oh, look at all this money I brought in. And even if they don't deal with the problem, they're going to say, but look at all the money I got for us. Look at all the pork that I brought home. That's all this really is. So, you know, that's that's what I see going on with California, darn it. You sent a tweet recently blaming Fox News for some of the uh, for distorting some of the errors in the reporting. 
Why are you blaming Fox News for this failure? I actually didn't blame yeah, Fox or you, News. You, you quoted I, from, I, I from just a retweeted Vox the Vox article, which sure. I thought, you know, kind of finally added a, sort of a little bit of balance to this, which I, is that I, I, I just you know, I, I have, have to jump in we, real we, quick. Okay, I hate this thing when reporters, you know, here's the you know Jake Tapper is the guy who does Mister Mister Neutral Tapper. If you go in his timeline, he'll retweet things that clearly show he's a liberal all the time. But he's just retweeting them, man. He's just retweeting. He's not really, you know. Making a making a statement one way or the other. I'm just, I'm just retweeting stuff. Not a lot of right wing stuff being retweeted from these CNN anchor types. And the New York Times, the same thing here. Oh, I didn't blame them. I just retweeted. I just shared to all of my followers the Vox piece, which I really do think that you know Vox is is beta male central. Um, the Vox piece that was blaming Fox News for this whole debacle, which any any honest observer sees this and says, okay, this is the New York Times just. Stepping on rake after stepping on rake, just kaboing, hitting it right in the face over and over again. Uh, but my man Sagar and Jetty, he took over my chair at the Hill. Sagar's a great guy he's from the Daily Caller. He's got uh, big things ahead. He did a really solid job today in this interview. Continue, please. Basically set out to do a book that revisits these events in kind of a calm way with the benefit of 10 months of investigation. We've written a book that's almost 300 pages. We spent 10 months doing it. It's, you know, these these paragraphs that have been pulled out and seized upon are, t- are two paragraphs in that in that book. So we haven't highlighted them. They're mm. not the focus of this. But your paper did. That our pa- No, on our paper, mm. we did this Deborah Ramirez excerpt in which that was also one paragraph. And unfortunately, that line was removed and mm. it was put back and corrected. Oh, yeah, it was it was unfortunate that it was removed. It wasn't removed because it undercut the entire thrust of the piece. Uh, people have been making jokes that this New York Times book is the result of a couple of reporters who took a took on a project with for a book and didn't want to give the book advance back, which I think is true. I think at some level, you know, they, they were so ideologically driven to try to find the counter narrative to Kavanaugh that what they didn't do, what they didn't focus in on was wait a second, what if Kavanaugh is totally innocent and all the facts that we find are really just going to prove that, no matter how hard we try to find alternative facts? And now they're in a place where because they've published this book and because they put their names on it and they've already been out there in the public eye on this, uh, then, you know, you look at this and you got to say to yourself, okay, I guess they're going to take the heat on this and keep trying to defend it in public because... They got to earn out the book advance. I really mean that. I think that there's some degree of just old fashioned. We got to we got to make enough sales here. And if that means we have to make fools of ourselves, we're willing to do it. Uh, but they're, they're They haven't been willing to say anything other than it was just errors. They haven't owned up to the fact that it's completely and, and totally ideology driven. It is it is ideology driven. And then you get to another. And this really annoyed me today. And there are a few things. I, I've been a bit annoyed today in general, and, but rightfully so. Libs, libs are getting a little rowdy today, a little bit. A little bit, producer Mark. A little bit. And libs are getting rowdy with me, and I don't like it. And also saying things that are untrue and that should annoy any, uh, any, anyone who is paying attention. And one of them is that these, uh, these uh, New York Times reporters are out there saying that I want to make sure I find exactly what it was, but they're saying more or less that Kavanaugh asked them. Yeah. 
asked them to lie. This is the HuffPost headline. New York Times reporters say Kavanaugh asked them. Oh, it says ask them lie. So good job, HuffPost. HuffPost English, not so good. Um, ask them lie in exchange for an interview. Uh, ask them to lie. So this is just a desperation move because it is almost certain you would have to assume that what they're talking about here is that Kavanaugh said, I will speak to you off the record. There is no way that Kavanaugh, who is brilliant, who is far smarter than these two women. There is absolutely no way that they asked him for an interview and he said, only if you lie to everybody about us having an interview. The real way to do it, I mean, or rather the, the real way that this would have been asked is, could we do an interview? He said, I'll speak to you off the record, which means you can get information from me, but you cannot use it or cite it or tell anybody that we spoke. That's what off the record means. You have to wonder if the New York Times just does not know that. The answer is, of course, they can't fail to know what off the record means. That's just not that's not possible. Uh, they, they clearly know, but this was too enticing of an opportunity for them. This was too exciting a chance for them to find a way to bash Kavanaugh and to say that, oh, he, he would have insisted that we lie if we had this interview. Just goes to show, I mean, there's just no way. No one should believe them. No one should believe them because they've already been telling lies all week. But notice how they keep trying to seize on something else to turn the onus, to switch this around and make Kavanaugh out to be the bad guy. It's just not it's just not going to happen. It's not going to work. By the way. Marianne Williamson, what happened with Marianne Williamson? You know, this is a departure. But, you know, we had we had a moment backstage at the Bill Maher show, Marianne and I. She was like, Buck. You're wrong about everything. And I just don't think your policies are any good. But, darling, honey, if you can unleash that spirit, if you can reach for the stars, who knows how far your spirit can go? And I said, uh, okay, Marianne, I'm going to get a tequila soda now. It's been real. But, you know, she's out there still being treated like somebody who understands policy issues. The one thing I liked about her was that she seemed like she wasn't hateful and mean. But beyond that, there's still a lot of stuff about Marianne Williamson that honest people can look at and say, yeah, she doesn't really know what she's talking about. And one of those areas, I would I would assume, is nuclear energy. What are your issues with nuclear energy? Well, I know Germany had said at one point, we're just going no nuclear. But then when they said no nuclear, there was a problem because they had a hard time keeping up with the other standards that they agreed to. What is wrong with that? If something goes wrong with nuclear energy, I don't think people have really stopped to take in the horror. See, we need an integrated politics. We need to go beyond hard data. We need to go beyond just thinking about the facts. I want you to think about this with your heart. Something goes wrong there, what are we even talking about? How can we even consider it? I'm with and you, Marianne. So, so what? Maybe we'd all 
be a little warmer, a little cool. <laughs> I mean, Americans, we have to decide. What is this? That's the problem I have with nuclear. What are, what are we talking about? It'll be a little warmer, a little cooler, not too hot, not too cold, just right. What are we even talking about? <laughs> That's a perfect question, Marianne. What are we even talking about? Stupid question. <laughs> yeah, it's a stupid question, that's for sure. All right, let's talk about Iran. What's going on there, team? We'll be right back. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Clear. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. I think it's uh, abundantly clear, and there is an enormous consensus in the region that we know precisely who conducted these attacks was Iran. Uh, I didn't hear I didn't hear anybody in the region who doubted that for a single moment. It's Iran, folks. Unless you want to take the position that you can't trust anybody in our intelligence community anymore, you can't trust the United States government, you can't trust the Saudi government, which that wouldn't be hard to do. At some point, unless you have access yourself to the remains, the, the wreckage of the drones and the missiles used to attack that Saudi oil infrastructure. I guess you could always say, well, I'll never really know. You know, we'll never really know. You have to rely on others who are presenting you with information and facts and even the evidence they could show you, the, the f- photographs of the site, the, co- the complexity of the, of the attack. You know, the Houthis in the past have fired off rockets from Yemen into Saudi Arabia and it's blown up on an, you know, an airport tarmac or something, but didn't hit anyone or anything. Generally, it just was a miss. Uh, and the Iranians have a, a much greater sophistication, clearly, than the Houthi rebels do. Now, the Iranians are also arming the Houthis and assisting them, training them. So is it conceivable that the Iranians gave the Houthis the training and the equipment? Sure, but then you also have, as we've been discussing, where did this attack come from? Where did it originate from? If it came from Iranian soil, well, then we clearly know it's Iran. There's some that have been saying it might have come from Iraq, which would be interesting because there you'd have Iranian proxies operating on Iraqi soil uh, to give an extra layer of you know, disbelief or an extra layer, a fig leaf of protection, really, for the Iranians for what, they, what they've done uh, here. But I, I'm happy to see so far the president has not reacted with a military strike. As you know, I am opposed to us engaging in a major military strike on Iran. Um, and here we have Secretary of State Pompeo, who I, I still think is one of the most squared away, best voices uh, in this administration on, on foreign policy issues. He's saying, that, look, it's, it's going to be. Uh, more sanctions. We're not going to do nothing here, but let's let's remember this, folks. It wasn't an attack on us. And if Saudi Arabia is in the, oh, if they get attacked, we'll, we'll fight in their place or we'll take action on their behalf. You know, Saudi Arabia is not in NATO, all right? I mean, Saudi Arabia, we're not supposed to do their fighting for them. Uh, there will be more sanctions. Uh, we're, we're, we... Uh... We, we have set about a course of action to deny Iran the capacity and the wealth so that they can conduct their terror, so to, pre- to prevent them from conducting their terror campaigns. And you can see from the events of last week, there's still more work to do. And we're going to continue to drive towards that end. I think that's the right move. Um, we're trying to make sure that the Iranians are economically 
starved as much as possible. The Iranian regime, I should say, uh, the IRGC, the elements of the Iranian government that support terrorism. And then you also have Secretary of State Mike Pompeo just talking more about how diplomacy here could get it done uh, as long as we make the right moves. Um. I was here in an act of diplomacy while the foreign minister of Iran is threatening all out war and to fight to the last American. Uh, we're here to build out a, a coalition aimed at achieving peace and a peaceful resolution of this. That's my mission set. It's what President Trump certainly wants me to work to achieve. And I hope that the Islamic Republic of Iran uh, sees it the same way. I don't think this should be that complicated. If the Iranians, if they did to us in some way, I mean, if they blew up a U.S. ship and killed Americans, remember, they've already had the, the un, they went after an unmanned drone. I mean, they've been doing some things that are provocations, but we're also blocking countless billions of dollars of economic activity to them, which I think is the right move, but we're not failing to do anything here. That, that would not be an accurate statement. Um, and I think that what we are seeing is that the Iranian government, the Iranian regime is feeling the heat. Most important thing for us here is just we, we don't want another war. We just do not want a war in the Middle East uh, based on all of the factors that we talk about here on the show on a regular basis. We've done this too many times in the past. We have not gotten the outcomes that we have wanted in the wars that we have waged in the Middle East. It has been very expensive. We have lost American lives and sometimes lost American lives in circumstances where it, w- it would be difficult to explain what the real strategic objective was for putting our soldiers in harm's way. And so I do believe that there's a a shift right now in the Republican Party that we're still getting used to, which is we are not going to do the rest of the world's fighting for it, even if we think that there's a strategic interest. Yeah, we have a, we have we have an interest in keeping keeping oil flowing in the Middle East just because we want global gas prices to remain stable. But this is not enough in and of itself for us to engage in a major military exchange with Iran. I, I am very confident that if we blew up a bunch of and I, I can't say that I know, but let's just say that we sent over a carrier group and just laid waste to a lot of Iranian oil infrastructure and, and really punished them, kept casualties low, but really punished critical Iranian uh, infra- oil infrastructure, uh, they would not then say, okay, we're even. They would do something else. They'd do something a little bit more of a provocation. And I do have some, here, here's a theory that I cannot tell you is, is vetted in any way, but perhaps the situation inside Iran right now because of the economic pressure, because of the 3% drop in their economy last year, looks like a 6% drop in the economy. Remember, if we just have a couple of quarters of negative growth, we consider it to be a recession. They're, they're in a, a recession and then some. Perhaps the Iranian Guardian Council, which is the true power inside, of, inside Tehran, in that uh, Islamist government apparatus, maybe they're under more pressure than we realize and... Facing an external enemy, us, Saudi, Israel, just because it's Israel, whoever it may be, is a way of maintaining some stability internally. And perhaps they're even willing to take major risks as a result of that. You know, remember, the Iranians fought, and I think very few people uh, recall this, but there was an an Iran-Iraq war 
back in the 80s, and it lasted for almost the entirety of the 80s. And there were uh, there were huge numbers of uh, casualties. Um, it was the longest war. I mean, if, if you go back and you look at longest declared war of the 20th century, the Iran-Iraq war of the 80s was the longest declared war. And the casualties are, are, are believed to be somewhere in the range. I mean, certainly hundreds of thousands, perhaps above a, a million Um Total casualties are, are about are roughly a million if you want to look at most of the estimates. I mean, that was a big, nasty, vicious war between these two countries. And we were selling a lot of arms to Iraq, by the way, during it. Uh, there was a proxy component there because of the Cold War and the relationship that we had with Iraq and the relationship that the Iranians had with the Soviet Union, which now, of course, is a relationship that the Russian Federation has in that country uh, with that country. So the Iranians are no stranger to long protracted fights. And if you're part of the mullocracy and if you're part of the security apparatus there, the IRGC, um, the, the besiege, you're the, the paramilitaries, they're really the, the Iranian equivalent of the, of the brown shirts. You know, they'll go around and beat people up and, and they're, the, they're the, the official thugs of the thugocracy in Iran. If they have to fight some kind of war, uh, at least that means in their minds that they get to maintain power and we're not going to want to take the country over. So, you know, there's some complicated, complicated calculations that are going on across the table from us with the Iranians. And keep in mind, they also could be making miscalculations. They also could be very, very wrong here. And that's something else that I think we have to keep in mind. So um, we have uh, more coming up, team. Stay with me. So, guys, I uh, I have some updates from my my efforts to uh, find the the source of what is what is uh, officially an illegal noise, an illegal noise um, in my apartment coming from some nearby building. I have been able to get the Department of Environmental Protection for the city of New York, which is not the federal EPA. It's the local version of the EPA, DEP, to come. And, and all I need, all I need to get justice is a piece of paper that should be freely available to me that says exactly what was done in my apartment by a city employee as part of their job, right? A report that I know exists. You know what I found out today? Uh, well, it was actually great because they, they're very technologically savvy now. So they just send you these email notifications. I got an email notification today. Producer Mark, how long for the Freedom of Information Act request from the city of New York to get my maybe five line DEP report? How long do you think this is going to take? At least six months. That's right, my friend. Wow. February 4th is their estimated date. February 4th. <laughs> like sitting here. How, how, how is this possible? How, how can how can it be helpful? What if I had like a toxic waste dump in my apartment? Right? If they take readings on that, are they, I wait six months to find out if my legs are going to fall off from all the, the radioactivity? Well, that would be an emergency. Call the fire department. Oh, you be quiet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. This is ridiculous. But even more ridiculous, the great part about this um, is that the... <laughs> Gosh. The same day... 
that I receive an email from the city of New York telling me that I am uh, that that I am going to find out about this February second. I also receive an email maybe two hours later that says your request uh, has been posted online and then the request posted online is followed up by an email, you know, saying that your documents are posted. I go and then I and then I click and the link is dead. And then I'm like, I can't see. There's no way to see anything here. And then I receive an email saying the your FOIA request falls under a a part of like the city's something something code where we cannot share the information with you so it seems that in one day the city of new york has told me that for a simple piece of paper to tell me about a noise reading in my own apartment that i need in order to get some relief from the situation i have been told that i have to wait until february i have been told that my request has already been adhered to just click here and then i've been told that oh no just kidding we're never going to tell you this stuff we're never going to give you the report welcome to city governance, my friends. That's what we're dealing with these days. It's a crazy world we live in, friends. I'll be right back. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Roll call, everybody. It is time for it. Let's see what we have here now. First and uh, foremost, we have Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com is the email address. And with that, we'll get to it. We have uh, Benny, not the Jets, just Benny. Hey, Buck, how many more slanted, biased, non-attributable, fake Misleading news articles will it take before conservatives on Capitol Hill begin using Alinsky's tactic of uh, ridicule as man's most potent weapon. If a conservative is asked to comment on a story from the New York Times, they respond every time they didn't read it, nor do they comment on anything from a particular fraudulent source. Then maybe the American people will begin to see the New York Times as the joke. It is shield tie. Benny in Mississippi. Uh, Benny, I... I would like to say that this plan of yours will work, but I think, unfortunately, that is unlikely. Um, New York Times still has a lot of resources, has thousands of employees. I find it very unlikely that uh, we're going to be able to get the New York Times to shut its doors anytime soon. I look, I, I and this. Let's keep this in mind. I don't actually want. I, I'm not a cancel culture person. I don't want news outlets to go out of business necessarily. Some of them should, like Gawker. That was good for the world. But I, I'm in in general. I just want there to be honesty in what they do. I mean, what they do is dishonest at the New York Times. They pretend that they're an objective media outlet, and they most certainly are not. Um, And does anyone really think otherwise at this point? That's what I, I I love to ask that question. Does does somebody want to have the debate about whether the New York Times is, is a liberal newspaper or not? You'll say it, and people say, no, no, it's not. They kind of want to mutter this under their breath. And then I want to say, well, Okay, uh, well then, what is it exactly? Someone explain this to me. Um, Karen writes, she can't remember when or where or when that party was, but she claims Brett Kavanaugh assaulted her. She remembers she only had one beer. When my alcoholic clients say one beer, they usually meet a 40-ounce bottle. Karen, 
And Karen, it wasn't a, it wasn't really a credible accusation. And the more we've thought about it, the more distance we've had from it, the more absurd the whole situation was. So I leave that uh, I leave that where it is. I, I just I didn't believe her then. I don't believe her now. I think that her motivations to lie were very clear. One of the things that kept coming up was that you had the left pretending like, why would she lie? She has nothing to gain by lying. Um, lie for reasons of ideology, lies for reasons of fame, uh, money, uh, prestige, all things that the people that she cares about who are clearly leftists will now insure her for the rest of her life. And she'll be treated as a hero. They will have the most appealing, popular Hollywood actress in about 10 or 15 years playing the brave, the fearless Christine Blasey Ford in the HBO movie and the Netflix series, whatever it may be. I assure you, just give it time. Oh, and the New York Times reporters that Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino have just been wiping the floors with over the last few days by pointing out all their all their ridiculous errors and flaws. Um, they'll be treated as the ones who really broke the true story. You know, they're they're the real journalists who got to the heart of this, not a bunch of hack lib clowns, which is, in fact, what they are. So, yes, indeed. Um, next up, we have. Uh, oh, you know what? Actually, we will get to. I wanted to get into some of the there's some good stuff today in the fate on the facebook side of things so let's let's get to that remember at facebook.com slash buck sex and we now do roll call in both places uh we have we have roll call multiple avenues for the roll call so please do uh check us out there facebook.com slash buck sexton by the time you hear this by the way um i will already be underway my speech at the a Women's National Republican Club, uh, courtesy of the Young Republicans of New York City. And I will try to get full video of that speech and post it on fate, post it on bucksexton.com. We have a website. Yes. Right, Producer Mark? We do. It's pretty, too. It's very, it's a very nice, website, very nice yeah. website. So we're going to start putting more things on that. And uh, we will indeed, including hopefully this speech, assuming I can get the full audio video of it. Benny writes, Buck, I take grief every time I fry bacon due to the mess, time, and smell, and am bombarded with, Q Hillary voice, why don't you just bake it in the oven? Much like my eggs, I cook my thick-cut pepper bacon low and slow and turn often. Please back me up that no true bacon connoisseur would ever deign to bake bacon. Shields high. Another Benny, but a different Benny. Uh, yeah, man. Look, first, a couple things about the bacon. You cook bacon in a pan. People that say, oh, but it doesn't make a mess if you cook it in the oven. To that, I always want to point out, you have to use an entire, like an entire roll of saran wrap or silver foil or whatever it is. So that's not true. I mean, there's just, a, there's a mess. You just have to throw all this stuff out. Um, all you need with, you're going to cook bacon in a pan as somebody who cooks a lot of bacon is some, uh, grease catch cup where you keep all the grease. Because if you dump it all in the trash, it'll actually sometimes burn a hole in your trash and it'll smell like, your whole apartment will smell like bacon. I don't know, John, do we like that? Is that good? Bacon scent? Yeah. They're probably, I'm sure there are bacon scented candles. I don't know there are. There definitely are. There definitely are, yeah. So I'm essentially doing a bacon scented candle the old fashioned way. Uh, but you want thick cut too. You know, I, I was in a rush the other day and I was in the store and I bought normal person bacon, you know, like Oscar Meyer or whatever. And it was just, nor- and I cooked this stuff and it's like, it's just all grease. There's nothing there. There's no actual bacon, damn it. 
you want thick cut and uh, you want to go to a butcher usually and have them cut it for you if you can. You can do it in your grocery store, but have them slice it and say, I want it to be thick. You'll taste more of the pork flavor and it won't be such a greasy mess. As you can see, I, I get into my bacon. My man T to the J asks, Buck, how have you not made it on Shapiro's Sunday special yet? I can't believe Kennedy beat you to it. I don't know. I don't know, TJ. Ask Ben. I'd be happy to go on anytime. Uh, Adam, Buck on Eddie Murphy. How can you not include the golden child, Shields High? I don't think so, man. I'm throwing a flag. Have you guys seen the golden child? I don't think the golden nope. child is. No, I'm, I can't. I can't get behind that as a good movie. I feel like I saw it once a long, long time ago and didn't think it was very good. So, do you agree with me, by the way, producer Mark? The best. Eddie Murphy movies are, you don't have to put them in order, but the top three are Beverly Hills Cop, Trading Places, and Coming to America. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think this isn't that. Isn't I really like Dr. Doolittle also, but I was a little younger than you. I've never seen that one. Yeah. Really? Yeah, i never seen that. Yeah. It's silly, but it's funny. Pluto Nash was one of the biggest box office bombs of all time, which is always a fun thing to look and see how much money can be wasted in Hollywood on a bad project. The answer is a lot. Anthony writes, Buck, you're an important voice for the modern-day neoconservative movement, I would call it. In response to your taking calls the other day, I agree, less is more, meaning I think there's important voices that need to get through to you and your audience, and I have a suggestion. Make it a bit of a competition, perhaps one day a week or an everyday challenge. Offer up to the audience one caller who will win the opportunity to present the world the kinds of questions you'll love to respond to or answer. Sorry, Producer John, this will be busy, challenging work for you. But what better way to, well, you, you mean producer Mark, but producer John helps out too. This will be busy, challenging work. That's a very important part of this challenge. Perhaps the big, beginning of Roll Call, put it out there. Producer Mark, do you want to take this on as a project? I think Roll Call works perfectly the way it is. I think that's the right answer. I'm, I'm with you on that for now, especially because we're, we're trying to move to a new studio, which is going to have all this video capability and all this other stuff. It'll and- happen by 2021. No, nah, man, I'm going to I'm going to put I'm going to put my foot down. We're moving faster than the city of New York. I'm a noise complaint. That's for sure. I look, I'm, I really think I, I got a few ideas with the city of New York. One is maybe maybe Buck for mayor really does need to happen. The only problem is I'd, I'd have to I don't know if I could still do a radio show if I was running for mayor. Could I? Is there a is there a law against that? Didn't uh, Bloomberg used to do a spot once a week? Yeah, but I don't know if you can host a show um, if you run for, you know, I think there's an, there's an equal time thing. John, am I right about that? Could I run for office while hosting a radio show? Maybe not hosting, but Bloom, uh, Bloomberg used to co-host with John Gambling at WOR huh. on Fridays, I believe. And uh, de Blasio's on WNYC once a week. Yeah, but that's as a guest. That's, that's, of course, politicians can be guests. I, I just think that there's, I don't know why I think this, but I believe there's some regulation that would prevent me from... Because otherwise, right, wouldn't the best thing, if you're a politician, you'd want to have your own media outlet. Well, when I worked in Westchester, a lot of the, um, the mayors from the different uh, towns had radio shows, and they were in office at the time. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if, <laughs> if that was legal or not, but it has I don't like it. I mean, Buck for mayor, think about all the noise we'd make. It'd be so fantastic. I'm from here. I drive the libs insane. I'm going to be way more interesting than whatever, whoever their candidate is. It's not, I understand it's not going to be de Blasio again. It's going to be somebody else. I'm not exactly sure who, but uh, I don't know. I'm thinking about it, guys. You ready for that? Producer Mark, you ready to be campaign manager? Absolutely. Producer John, you're going to be the muscle. You know, anyone, any like, any like union guys show up like, yeah, any union, <laughs> any union guys show up, be like, excuse me, you, you talk to producer John over here. They're like, hey. 
I'll be like, hey, John, good to see you again, buddy. Uh, anyway, let's go back here to the, um, the roll call. Monica writes, brisket is the barbecue for the gods. You are correct, sir. It is number one. It is the ribeye of barbecue. Now, this is true. However, let's all be very clear that brisket, while it is, I think, when best executed, the best of the barbecue meats. Although you guys gave me legitimate answers. I will take ribs. I will take pulled pork. Just as long as you don't say chicken or people that say like cheddar sausage and things like this. I'm like, that's what you keep in your freezer for when you come home drunk and you don't want to be hung over the next morning. You don't go to get that. At a, that's like a side dish. That's not a main you know, the, the sausage they have at those places. I know it's like a thousand calories a link, but who cares? Uh, but the problem with brisket is that it can be either. Too, it has to be in that sweet spot. It can be too fatty, too moist and fatty, or it can be dry. You got to get it right in the in the sweet spot, or else you're you're going to be in bad shape. Um, but I agree with you on and ribeye is obviously the move. Look, I would take a good a good solid all American ribeye over, and I've had Kobe beef one time before, real from Japan Kobe beef. I take a good American ribeye over Kobe beef anytime. You eat Kobe beef and you think your gallbladder might just spontaneously combust. It's just so uh, rich and. You, you know, you're, it's like you're drinking bacon grease as you're eating a steak. Some of you are like, yes, sign me up for the Kobe beef. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Jennifer. Right. Hey, Buck, finishing up the podcast Wednesday. Now you're set up in New York and expanding the show. A couple of us were talking about how you need to do an Insta live while cooking a la AOC. Just don't be moronic like her. We love the idea of cooking with conservatives. First show request, how to sear the perfect ribeye and a discussion of the solvency of Social Security. Also, the correct answer for best BBQ is indeed brisket. All right. There we go. Steven. Buck, thinking about your gun control woes, you should have Ken Blanchard on from the Black Man with a Gun podcast. Never heard of this before. I think you'd be surprised to see the to be the roots of gun control are actually very racist. I, I've heard about this a little bit in the past, my friends. I, I think I know what you are alluding to. Anyway, um, we don't have much time here now. We've got one one more here. One more. Kelly writes, Bunk, you love this French bulldog and its attitude toward dieting. I know you love them, and it's a YouTube video. Angry French bulldog on diet throws tantrum. That sounds like me. An angry French bulldog on a diet. Although I'm not on a diet yet, so I need to make that happen. All right, everybody. Countdown to downtown is coming up here. We'll be downtown. It looks like the show will actually be available for you on podcast a week from today. Right, Producer Mark? That's when it'll actually happen. I think so. We think so. We're we're trying as fast as we can here. Anyway, team. Yeah. What'd you say? It's out of our hands. It's out of our hands. We're doing the best we can. But it will happen soon. So subscribe on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app to the Buck Sexton Show. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.